he has a business base and finance behind him anyway. He's not just looking for patrons. Columbus had talent. He knew what he was going to be doing. But so much in the late 15th century depended entirely on who was paying for you. Mm -hmm. And the budget was enormous. I mean, three, sh three ships that could possibly um, take you as far as the New World, which they didn't even know was there, you know, it was, it was a hypothetical. If we go that way, maybe we'll get there. Um, I don't know what that would be the equivalent of equipping, less nowadays than, say, equipping three spaceships, but certainly equipping something mm. very, very expensive. They needed to take at least five to six months' worth of food um, which meant your crew was kind of limited and your ships were kind of mm. filled up with provisions. And it must have been amazing, a bit like space exploration in those days. I mean, you say not a lot was known about the New World, but I guess they presumed that there was some land out there if they kept sailing. Did the, did they, they knew the world was round by then too, of course. Yes, but the trouble was that they had such funny ideas about where the land masses were placed. You know, you probably know, well, everybody knows when Christopher Columbus set out, and he found, he arrived in the West Indies, he thought he had found India, and various people who speculated at that time, they thought if you sailed around, you'd, you'd end up in Japan and China, and, yes. and they didn't realize really that there was anything else in that space between Western Europe and Eastern Japan and China. They just kind of assumed it was, some people calculated the distance was only something like 14,000 miles, you yeah. know, it was really not very far at all. Yeah. But they couldn't have been more wrong. Mm, yes. It took him, what, uh, two months to, to reach the New World? Oh, I think longer than that, oh. more like five or six. Oh, right. Okay. So you just sail off. You, you must have been a fairly brave character to do that, to sort of uh, sail off into the great unknown. Well, people had been doing it for a little while, not, th not just like him straight out into mm. the ocean, but particularly the exploration that had been happening in the last quarter of the 15th century around Africa, sailing south and, and going going that way. Um, it taught people a bit more about the risks that were involved, often off the African coast. The weather was utterly appalling and, and you know, ships were lost and people were wrecked. But um, there was a climate in the late 15th century that, um, well, was more outward looking and asked questions about what was in the rest of the world rather than being satisfied with just Europe. Mm. What, uh, what was the motive behind Christopher Columbus's uh, interest, do you think? Was it, was it because he was, a, was an explorer? Was it because he wanted to get his hands on, you know, great witches that lay beyond the, uh, the shores of Europe? Well, like most people, I think his motives were mixed. Um, certainly he wanted to... Um, uh, make a name for himself as an explorer, as a, a visionary person in that kind of way. But also, when he attracted the patronage of Isabella of Castile, um, who was finally to fund his expeditions, he, he tried to get patrons in Portugal, he tried in England, he went to France, nobody listened and nobody was terrifically interested. Um, Isabella, of course, was renowned for a number of things. Um, her political prudence, she and her husband Ferdinand of Aragon, uh, had become very, very successful. But she was also known as La Catolica, she was extremely religious. And so the idea of there being people out there whom the Christian world could, could convert, could evangelise, um, there even were by that stage 
myths is the wrong word, legends of Christians living in these obscure parts of the world and, and some of those legends had a little bit of basis in fact for example there were Nestorian Christian communities up in Karakoram which is now in Pakistan mm -hmm. and there were some further tiny little communities probably in what is now Mongolia but um, there was just this idea abroad that exploration generated new Christians, new fields for missionary activity and in the early modern period from the 16th century onwards the foundation of new missionary orders, you know one thinks of the Jesuits and, yes. and you know how much they did, that's quite interesting. But there was also the desire for trade and there was also the desire for gold. Because they were running out of gold in Europe, oh, weren't they? Yeah, which is it's one of those things you sort of think about running out of gold and it, it sort of sounds weird, but it's it's true. It's like the fact that there isn't any gold in Ireland nowadays, and yet their early medieval jewellery and and uh, uh, art works are, are just there's an excess of it, and it mm. must obviously have been there at one point and then yes. become exhausted. So I guess the Columbus thing, obviously the rulers, Isabella, she wants territory, she wants finance, she also wants mission fields she's looking at a whole lot of things and so when she gives him the money to equip him to go on the voyage and gives him the title of admiral and, and all the things that he needs to to proceed safely unmolested really um, she's thinking about what might come in the future and bizarre things did come I mean the um, papacy assisted Portugal and Spain in dividing the whole new world up so that they could cut down the middle by a line and mm. all the bit on that side belonged to Portugal and all the bit on that side belonged to, to Spain. You know, mm. It's sort of hard to believe in some ways. Yes, it is. And when you look at that sort of colonisation, there was enormous amounts of bloodshed, carnage. I mean, Columbus made uh, the people that he found, he made them dig gold and uh, otherwise he would cut their hands off. I mean, he was... It was a form of slavery. Very, yes, very bloodthirsty. It might be said, however, that compared to Hernan Cortes, he looked pretty good. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but then he, he looked benevolent. Everybody does. I mean, that, that is a, a great um, sadness, I guess, from the, the discovery of the New World. We get so many things from it. People think about everything from potatoes and tomatoes to, to syphilis, but there also was this, um, well, crisis, shall we say, for Europe where they had to start confronting something that I think a lot of people still haven't confronted nowadays, which is what what is the status of these people who are so different to us mm. and who who don't believe in the God we believe in and who whose skins are a different colour and whose lifestyles are incomprehensible to us. And there's actually a brilliant film, of course now I can't remember the name of it, which was about a 16th century church council that took place in France and it was actually on the issue of whether the savages of the new world were humans mm. and um, it's just, you just, it has it has Jean-Louis Trintagnon in it and it has been shown on SBS a couple of times. It's just amazing, it's like the old debate that happened in the Middle Ages, did women have souls? You yes. know, they, they'd graduated from the idea that yes, women had souls to what were the status of, of mm. these new people and and didn't really end, I guess, until quite recently when Australia, for example, when, when it was discovered, it was terra nullius. You know, that stood for many, many, many years. Well, it's it? an argument of convenience, isn't it, mm. for colonial uh, powers. And, and you can see that when Columbus and the others who followed in his wake, you know, sorts of people, when they were moving out into this unexplored world, 
they, in some senses, they saw it through the the lenses of their culture, yes. and that meant it was convenient. It was possible to say it didn't belong to anyone, mm. and it wasn't be, being used for any practical purpose. Mm, exactly. What what sort of resistance did Columbus meet? Can can you just remind us of that when he did get to the New World well, in terms of military resistance, I guess? Well, certainly um, there were sporadic outbreaks. When we talk about military resistance, uh, the trouble is that almost all... Um, I mean, Cortes, I guess, is in a different category. Um, and the conquest of, of Mexico and Peru, there was an urban civilization where people actually tried to to really resist mm. you know Moctezuma the the king of the Aztecs you know he actually didn't resist because he thought a religious event had happened but when with Columbus it was only you know sporadic outbreaks on islands like Domingo and San Cristobal where people actually did try to fight but they were not um really organized it was not um well, effective. Yes. And the other thing that you that we all know, of course, we know it because it was so bloodily obvious in the Zulu Wars and in the um, the conquest also of the Plains Indians in America, was of course that spears. Well, they're no match for guns. No, exactly. Or the disease that that were brought to them by by the new by the old world. Yeah. Yeah. What happened to Columbus in the end? Was he a sort of a fated, revered figure back in Europe? Um. To some extent, but he also was disappointed. After all, one of the things that struck me, I remember, as unjust when I think I was about 10 and first realised that this was the case, is Colombia is named after him, but the great continent of America is named after Amerigo Vespucci, who named it for him for himself, mm. you know. And um, Columbus is the spearhead. He gets things started. Yes. But there are other people following that... Um, you know, steal a lot of the thunder. And make the big discoveries in a way. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah. So he, he died a disappointed man? Rich? Um, moderately, but I think... Yeah, I mean, it all depends on, on what you mean by disappointed. He certainly didn't die in poverty and obscurity and get flung in a pauper's grave like dear old Mozart did. You know? right. so, so there are, there are different kinds of, of notoriety and different kinds of enduring fame. Mm. And he is revered. I mean, you go to Spain nowadays, there's a Columbus monument virtually everywhere you can see the seaboard. You know, there's a beautiful Columbus monument in, in Barcelona. There's... Well, a metro station named after him and an elegant monument in Madrid. He is, he's well thought of. And interestingly, monuments turn up to him in all sorts of strange places. I can remember being in Galway a couple of years ago and realising as I looked out on the Bay of Galway that a very strange-looking um, carved stone monument that I hadn't noticed before, I'd last been there about a, de a decade before, uh, was there, so I clambered down and had a look at it. And of course, Ireland, the west coast of Ireland, just looks out over the ocean that Columbus crossed, and, and there it is, this monument to him and discussion of of the the um, courage and, and the vision that led to anyone being willing mm. in the late 15th century to just set out that way. So, mm. so he is um, famed and... Uh, Revered still, I think, historically. Mm. Yeah. Carol Cusack, thank you. Thanks, Sally. Dr Carol Cusack there from the University of Sydney helping us map the millennium. And uh, next week we're going to be uh, heading off into the 16th century and looking at the beginning of Reformation. With Carol.